0: I think there's always been this fascination with murder and Uh and this obsession with finding justice for murder. And to see that represented in such an old story is really fascinating.
1: Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast. I'm Christy Meyer, your host, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and plenty of books to keep your TBR piles toppling. So grab a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Hello, my cozy friends, and welcome to our final episode of season two of Get Cozy Podcast. I'm so grateful to all of the authors and readers who've participated with us this season, and I think we're finishing out the season on a super fun note today because I have fellow mystery lover, Nanon Wogan, with me today to chat all about the history of the mystery. If you've ever wondered what the first cozy mystery was, if you've contemplated the term red herring, or even thought about why we use the sound dun 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 to describe a deadly twist in a mystery, then you'll definitely want to stay tuned for this conversation. But before we dive in, let me introduce our wonderful guest today. Manon is a publishing professional with a love for mystery. She works as the publishing operations manager for Author Imprints, a publishing services company for indie authors. Online, she is known as Mystery Manon, sharing book reviews and mystery-related content on Instagram and TikTok. Manon is also the editor for The Clues Letter, a bi-weekly email newsletter for mystery lovers. So welcome to the show, Manon.
0: Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. And I am such a fan of all the content that you create for Mystery. So it's just going to be so fun to chat with you. I just could not be more excited about this conversation today.
0: Me too. I was really looking forward to this. I think we have some great things to talk about.
1: Oh, I do too. And I was wondering before we jump in, if you could just tell us a little bit more about the work that you do in publishing, as well as the content that you're sharing on your socials?
0: Great. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I do daily, I do a lot of... Well, I work with indie authors really directly. So everybody I talk to basically is an author. Mm-hmm. And they're not... I, I do a lot of nonfiction work. So not everybody's publishing a mystery, much as I would like them to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do a lot of book proofing. So print book and ebook... Some marketing like Amazon advertising and BookBub and ebook promos and things like that, and so I get basically anything an indie author would do, a self-published author would do, even you know requesting an LCCN or registering their ISBNs. I'm doing that for them, so it's a really exciting way to work with authors, even if they're not writing a mystery. Right. But uh, to kind of satisfy my own interest in books, I decided to start my own little platform talking about mysteries. And so that's been a more of a creative outlet for me to talk about what I've been reading and loving. And then in recent recently, I've just been I feel like I've just been getting more even more excited about mysteries mm-hmm. and sharing my love through the clues letter, which is something that I write every other week. And that's been a great opportunity for me to dive even further into the genre and to talk about talk to authors who are writing mysteries today.
1: Right. And so.
0: Yeah, I just absolutely love this genre. I think there's so much to talk about past, present and future. So hopefully we can cover at least a fraction of that today.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I just have to say, I love the content that you create. And as an indie author, I can just say like how invaluable those services that you provide would be. And I know we have a lot of indie authors who tune into this show. So indie authors, definitely reach out to Manon for help with all of those services, because man, that would have been so nice when I first started publishing books.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, publishing, self-publishing is such a a minefield of things Mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't really realize our, our issues, so yeah. If you're considering indie publishing, it, it it can be really daunting, but also really rewarding, as I'm sure you you know, Christy.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So let's go ahead and kick off our conversation today. By talking about the beginning of the mystery genre, and more specifically, what the first documented mystery novel was. Now, there's certainly some debate around the answer to this question, Mm -hmm. um, but Manon, in your research on this topic, what have you uncovered?
0: Well, it seems like there's a a broader consensus that The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins, it's a pretty significant milestone in the mystery genre. Uh That was in 1859. And um, I also know that Wilkie Collins' other novel, The Moonstone, from 1868, is also cited as a very early mystery. And I think overall we're looking at mid-19th century as kind of the genesis for this genre, which I'm sure most people are familiar with once Sherlock Holmes started a bit later in that, in that century. Yeah, I, um,
1: I, uh, I came across kind of like the same information, a lot of uh, resources stating that Wilkie Collins was the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also found some research showing that um, although there are examples of like puzzle stories, that reach back through time when some of the earliest poems and tales were written down, a lot of people do agree that the first modern detective story is The Murders in the Rue Mm Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe. And like Mm -hmm. a detective and story and mystery are slightly different, though also kind of the same. So I thought that was interesting as well.
0: Yeah. And I think mysteries, it's such an interesting genre because there's mystery novels but there's always it has a really rich history in the short story Mm -hmm. and that comes across a lot in detective short stories so definitely Edgar Allan Poe and another thing that I thought was interesting and I'm not sure if you found this but there's actually a story from a thousand and one nights the the Arabian Nights Uh a collection of folk stories and it's called the three apples or the tale of the murdered woman and that is and it's a basically a murder mystery that has a, a you know a dead body is found in a locked chest around uh, along the t- Tigris River and it's it's a really interesting example of a murder mystery in this really old collection of mm-hmm. folk stories and so i think that goes to show just how broad the genre can be interpreted and how really how old it is and i think there's always been this fascination with murder and uh-huh. yeah. and this obsession with finding justice for murder And to see that represented in such an old story is really fascinating.
1: Oh, I agree. That is so well said. And I love seeing examples um, that are outside a lot of like what we study. If you study literature in school, you learn a lot about like uh, British and American literature specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so many examples of like mysteries and different types of literatures happening in other cultures way before they were popularized by British authors.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So that's a wonderful example. And I was also wondering, so of these like early mysteries that were published, uh, are there any that you have read and particularly enjoyed?
0: Honestly, anything from the nineteenth century, I pretty much haven't read i I have not read any Wilkie Collins, although he's on my list just because of how significant those novels are mm-hmm. There's also uh, Anna Catherine Green's The lebensworth case from eighteen seventy eight which has been on my radar for a while. but I know that's supposed to be a you know a really significant work, but I know it's also apparently very dry, and you know I think when you read books that are this old, you have to be a little prepared to kind of take your time reading it. Right. And so I find that pretty intimidating as a reader who likes a fast paced mystery novel. Have you read any of these older ones? I know short stories, I've read quite a few of those, but in terms of novels. Yeah, same. I've read
1: uh, definitely some short stories. And then I did read The Woman in White by Wilkie Mm. Collins. Um, I read that with a, a book club Oh, several years ago now. And it is a very like fascinating book. It's definitely slower paced. So like you said, you want to go in that into that, like prepared to take your time and read it slowly and expect that slower pacing. Um, But it also has this really fun, like gothic, like it, are we haunted or is this like a human being doing these deadly things element, Mm -hmm. which is something that I really enjoy both in mysteries and thrillers.
0: I agree, I think that Gothic element that's so prevalent in a lot of those early works is really important to mysteries and just being mm-hmm. able to create this atmospheric suspense is is very exciting to have in a mystery, and you don't really get that in some of the more traditional detective novels. It's a those are pretty you know cut and dry and don't always have that atmosphere mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I do appreciate that about those early works too.
1: I agree. And I do feel like the mystery novel in like popular culture really exploded in the 20th century, right? When we get like Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which I've read that complete collection. And then of course, uh, Agatha Christie, who I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Agatha Christie is like the best selling author of all time, besides uh, mm-hmm. William Shakespeare, and I think the Bible. So mm-hmm. that's which is just like so bananas to think about. It's just mind blowing, and I know mm-hmm. you're a prolific reader of Agatha Christie. So, what are some of your favorite works by her?
0: Well, prolific is a very strong word. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of her works, and I'm very lucky that I have a lot more to read because every time I read one of her books, I feel like I get the chance to dive a little deeper into her writing style. And I feel like I noticed things that younger me would never have noticed while reading a book for the first time. Yeah. Um, but in terms of her favorite, my favorite Christie books, I mean, I have to say, And Then There Were None was my very first introduction to Christy. Like, oh, okay. I know it's a lot of, I if, if you're new to her, I mean, that's the place to start, I think. I think a lot of people start with And Then There Were None. But that's an example of a, a mystery I read several years ago, I think I was home for, you know, on a college break or something during the summer. And I was reading that book and I was literally scared reading it because it was this like, (laughs) it's so creepy. I mean, talk about atmosphere. She really, it's this literally a dark and stormy night on this remote island and nobody can get off the island and people are just uh, dying off one by one. And so that was an example of, you know, I think Christie's brilliance. And she cites that book as one of the most difficult for her to write. And that's just, you know, an example of of how complex a mystery can be. Right. But what's interesting with Christy is sometimes you read her books and you're like, this is really not, this is really not her best work. <laughs> I mean, right. she has such, her books really vary in terms of the complexity and the quality of the mystery and yet i I still enjoy pretty much everyone that I read, so I think that's the mark of a good writer. She really has a, a strong ability to write and a strong ability to craft these characters that come off the page and I think that's probably my favorite my favorite aspect of Christie is her mm-hmm. her her ability to write characters so cleanly and simply and yet vividly,
1: yeah, I agree, and it's just so impressive too. Have seen a, a woman come out and just like absolutely dominate mm-hmm. this genre um, that historically was very much a, a genre that men were were writing in and publishing in, and she just absolutely killed it. Um, mm-hmm. Like she's done so many things that have set like standards in the mystery mm-hmm. genre today. Like, and then there were none is like now a, a whole trope that people use over and over and over again and try to put mm-hmm. their own spin on it. Um, but she was the first one to really do it in, like, popular literature today, which is fascinating. And then I feel like the the plot twist on Murder on the Orient Express is one of mm. the best plot twists <laughs> mm-hmm. in the mystery genre that I've read. She did first. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she really um, did.
0: And what's so interesting, you bring up her being a woman. I mean, there's a few other women during the Golden Age who are writing these mm-hmm. novels. But then when you look at authors today... I mean, I know you interview authors on the podcast and I interview authors in the Clues Letter. Okay. And I have to say, like, 95 percent of the ones I interview are women. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a genre that is so dominated now by by women writing these crime stories. And I don't know if everybody I talk to, I feel like is inspired is inspired in some part by Agatha Christie. But yeah. um, when you think about feminism in writing, I mean, mystery is a great place to be.
1: I agree. And I just feel like, yeah, Agatha Christie just opened so many doors or helped open so many, so many doors for for women today in mystery publishing. So I just think that's so neat. But one thing that's very also highly debated about Agatha Christie is whether or not her books should be considered cozy or if they are not cozy. Mm -hmm. So what's your opinion?
0: This is, you know, I've been mulling over this question for like two weeks now. Uh Um, (laughs) I think she is often cited as the she you know is the genesis of the cozy mystery genre, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: honestly, like she sometimes she writes for me, a big hallmark of the cozy mystery. There's two things is the amateur sleuth, which definitely does not apply with Poro because he's right. a professional detective, and the victim is generally very unlikable, and she seems to kill pretty indiscriminately, yeah, uh, like right now I'm reading Halloween Party, for example. I did not realize this. Like I did not read the description, but the victim is a thirteen-year-old girl. Oh, that yeah. would not fly in a cozy mystery. No, nope. right. So I think there's elements of her work that definitely are cozy, and I could see where the genre got uh, popularized after her, you know, writing these books. But there's other parts where it's like, you know, this is just this is just her writing a mystery novel, and I, I don't see them as as cozy as some of the stuff that's being published today.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I definitely feel like the Perot novels are, I would consider traditional mysteries. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think her Miss Marple books are like on that borderline between cozy and traditional. And for me, they're just barely Mm -hmm. on that cozy side. Like she has elements that we do typically see in more traditional mystery novels. But I feel like the vibe and the amateur sleuth and having like that uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember if she's octogenarian, but uh, around there, the octogenarian sleuth is such a thing in cozy mysteries, mm-hmm. and she's kind of like the the first one to do it again in like popular literature today. Um, so mm-hmm. I I do feel like the the Marple ones for me are are cozy, but barely. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. And anything else that she has with an amateur sleuth, I mean, there's some ones where they're, they're a bit not Marple, so they're a bit younger, but those still feel a little bit more traditional for me. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I'm thinking about Why Didn't They Ask Evans, which I should have mentioned earlier is one of my favorite Christie books just because of the humor. But those are characters who are amateur sleuths and yet it doesn't feel like a cozy. Maybe Mm -hmm. because they're traveling around quite a bit. I'm not sure. But yeah, there's a few Christies that are like definitely not. Like, and then there were none. (laughs) That could never be a cozy. (laughs) I mean, that was like chilling yeah right? and, and a little bit too complicated and also more or less lacked a sleuth so
1: exactly for me like and then there were none if you're going on like a scale of like cozy mystery traditional mystery to thriller like it almost I think it probably lands more in the thriller spectrum mm-hmm. like it is it is chilling like you said
0: yeah I agree um I was chilled reading it mm-hmm. I was I didn't and I did not expect that because I thought Agatha Christie, I I I was familiar with Poirot and I had watched the series and Miss Marple, and then I thought, okay, maybe I'll read this one because it's her most famous book.
1: Uh-huh. No,
0: that was that was scary. Yeah. I was spooked. Yeah, yeah.
1: I agree. I agree completely. And um, so, a fascinating fact about Agatha Christie that not everyone knows, but that I do find just like captivating is that on the 3rd of December, 1926, she Mm. actually went missing from her home in Berkshire, uh, not to be seen again for 11 days. And despite a massive manhunt, she just could not be found. So 11 days after her disappearance, she was actually identified as a guest at the Swan Hydropathic Hotel, um, which is now called the Old Swan Hotel. And she was actually registered there as Mrs. Teresa Neal, from Cape Town, um, and Christie never gave any explanation for her disappearance. Uh, however, Neil, interestingly enough, was the surname of Archie Agatha's husband's mistress. Um, and there was a novel that came out in 2022 called *The Christie Affair* by Nina de Gramont. So, did you happen to read mm-hmm. that one, Manon?
0: You know, it's sitting on the shelf behind me. Uh
1: huh. <laughs> so I have not, but I
0: did read one by Marie Benedict called the mystery of mrs christie and it was it's kind of another fictionalized telling i didn't particularly care for it because it's more uh, it wasn't enough of a mystery for me but Mm -hmm. i agree that this is literally one of the most fascinating stories of all time right um and the fact that she i think her explanation her official explanation was was it amnesia or something and she she was intentionally or maybe not intentionally very vague about what happened during that period Uh Um, and i know that there was so much speculation is it a publicity stunt is it truly an amnesic episode or was she really just under so much stress because of her husband's affair that she went through this process i i love that they brought in sir arthur conan doyle to investigate the the, her disappearance and so
1: fascinating um,
0: these other kind of characters to not characters, but these big mystery greats. And so this idea mm-hmm. that a mystery author could also be a detective and offer some insights into a real-life case is so interesting to me. Like, would we ever do that today? I'm no. honestly not sure.
1: Right? But I I mean, I guess if it's a mystery, like the greatest, like most read mystery novel writer of all time goes missing, maybe you do hire mystery writers. I don't know. It's just so interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: I know. Part of me is like, I wonder if she was just taking like method writing to like the next level or something.
0: I know. It's interesting that her whole affair, her husband's affair is really interesting to me as well, because I, I had I had read that mystery, Mrs. Christie. I, I was aware of the story. And then I read, I think it was Murder in Mesopotamia. And oh. there's a character in that that says something so on the nose about uh Christie's own personal life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think she says, you know, when a man goes off to war, he'll come back a different person, something along those lines. And so in in Archibald Christie had gone off and fought in World War One and come home with some what we now would describe as PTSD mm-hmm. and behaved completely differently. And I think that really affected their marriage. And so she had this a bit of a dig at him in Murder in Mesopotamia, which I thought it was a nice little Easter egg. If you know that aspect of Christie's personal life, she's putting those personal details into her book.
1: Right. I mean, write what you know. I guess it's just I guess. Oh, so fascinating.
0: Yeah, I think she did. She kind of does that. Like every once in a while, you'll read a piece of her book, and you're like, "Was that Christie talking, or was that the characters speaking?" Right. Right. And so I think that makes her such an interesting literary figure. Uh, to see her personal life reflected in her novels.
1: I agree. I would love nothing more than to be able to go back in time, kind of, and have Agatha Christie on this podcast and have her explain Mm -hmm. herself and all these little uh, seeming to be Easter eggs that are in her works. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, a term that we use a lot in the mystery genre is of course the red herring. So, I think it would be fun to chat about where that term came from. Um and I was wondering what you uncovered when you were researching that topic.
0: I'm familiar enough with the red herring. What's interesting about red herrings for me mm-hmm. is when you're reading a, a mystery novel, it's, you know, heads or tails whether or not you're going to recognize something as a red herring. And when I was looking at the history of the term, I didn't realize that people would consider other characters, other suspects as red herrings.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Like the Wikipedia page, for example, uses a character of uh, the the bishop in the Da Vinci Code as an example, whose name literally translates to red herring. It's a loose translation of that. Does
1: it? Fascinating. Yeah.
0: Um, And so the idea that a person can be painted or presented as a villain or... Mm -hmm the strongest of the suspects and then turn out to be not that way. Like that happens all the time in mystery books. And I never considered that a red herring. Uh Maybe that's just because, you know, I'm not as educated as what, like what a red herring could be. But yeah, I mean, I always thought it was a a cleverly placed distracting clue. Mm -hmm.
1: It can be, at least in my opinion, I feel like it can be a well-placed clue. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was doing some research on like the etymology of the term and so it was first popularized in 1807 by Mm. William Cobbett and he told a story of having used a strong smelling smoked fish to divert and distract hounds from chasing a rabbit Um, and so that's kind of where that term red herring a strong smelling smoked fish uh, came from to use in mystery fiction as it was used to divert and distract readers from who the actual like murderer and what the true clues were in the in the book, like a sleight of hand by the author, kind of. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's really interesting um, to kind of learn about the the history of where words come from because we just use them so often without like mm-hmm. thinking about what what do these words actually mean and why are we using them in this context.
0: And also like the fact that red herring is not a term that's unique just to a mystery novel. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I also am familiar with it in in terms of a logical fallacy, much like a straw man argument or something like that, like a red herring being a, a logical fallacy designed to distract from the real argument, right? you know? So it's just such a, a versatile term. And I think it's a, a really interesting one that pops up mostly in crime fiction, but is used uh, elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to see it, uh, how it's kind of evolved today to be using so be being used. So predominantly in crime fiction, Mm -hmm. like you said, and then another thing I was contemplating when preparing for this episode, uh, just thinking about all the the types of terms and things that we use to refer to mystery novels. And I was thinking about how when we're describing synopses, um, how when we get to that part where we describe the deadly situation, the sleuth finds them in, or the victim's death, we so frequently use the sound dun-dun-dun. And mm-hmm. so I was wondering, like, where did that come from? And so I put on my, my own sleuthing cap and uh, found that its first pro- proven use was in 1942 in CBS radio suspense, where it was played at the end of the introduction of the first episode, The Burning Court. And I know that mm-hmm. I use that sound sometimes when I'm describing the synopses of mystery novels, both <laughs> on social media and on my podcast. So do you ever find yourself using that sound as well?
0: I do. It's it's such a fun one to use to just throw in to <laughs> like any kind of suspenseful conversation. Uh-huh. Um, I love that it started out as a, a, a more genuine thing because I associate it now with uh, it's a very humorous way to right. inspire suspense or to suggest suggest suspense. I cannot think of it in a serious context anymore, and I don't know if that's just because I am like now we're so conditioned to see it in more of a comical sense, but, um, exactly. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's so great. I love it. And I I love that you were thinking about this because this is something that like literally has never crossed my mind, right? (laughs) Like this is like just something that is so common in everyday life Mm -hmm. and so common in like any sort of mystery context. And I just have never thought about it.
1: Yeah. I think it's so interesting and like when that fir- the the question like first popped into my mind, I was expecting it to be like you know a sound that was in like a popular mystery TV show in like the '80s or something. And to find out that it actually started in 1942 was just kind of mind blowing. That this sound has taken on such a meaning and a life of its own, and it's still being used almost a hundred years later.
0: I think it's it's. I think that's a testament to you know the value of something that is really short and and concise and um versatile mm-hmm. really
1: yeah yeah i agree and it's just it's just fun like it does add like a kind of like a, a lighthearted vibe when you're talking about like crime fiction and some of the more like dark and serious things that we stumble upon while we're reading or describing these books. Um And so mm-hmm. I, I definitely see a lot of like cozy mystery uh readers using it because it does just kind of provide that little bit of levity, like you said.
0: Mm hmm
1: so we are just going to dive into all of the controversial mystery topics today um but another hotly debated thing in the mystery genre is what the difference is between a mystery and a cozy mystery and i know you touched on that a little bit um earlier in the podcast but is there anything else you would add to that
0: well, let me think. So I think the biggest thing is absolutely the amateur sleuth. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is a more of a traditional or detective mystery. There's but there's other things that I would consider tropes that are uh kind of mix and match in cozy mysteries. You might read one without any without some of these or you might read one that has all of these, but uh, a, a small close-knit community, probably in a small town. Mm-hmm. Um usually the the amateur sleuth has their job is something kind of desirable, I would say, like yeah. working in a bookstore or a library or a bakery, something like that gives the books a, a pretty strong theme. I think the, the victim, like I said, being really unlikable, to make this as cozy as possible, you don't have to think about the morality of killing an innocent person. Mm-hmm. Um, you want, you don't want that. You want somebody who I wouldn't say deserves to die. I would never want to say that, but Right, where you feel less badly about them showing up murdered. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel conflicted about this because I think a cozy mystery is such a specific genre that uh, has a rich history, and sometimes I see books being described as a cozy mystery, and I wouldn't necessarily uh, put them in that box, even if they're. I I, I would call them cozy adjacent. Right, like um, I think a good example is the Thursday Murder Club series by uh, Richard Osman like those are books that Mm -hmm. people describe as cozy mysteries all the time and yet they have four main characters and I think they're a little bit more complex than a traditional cozy I agree and so I I hesitate to to call those cozy mysteries and I don't know how you feel about that but there's a few series like that that I wouldn't call cozy
1: I agree completely. Um, I, I so frequently see people describing the Thursday Murder Club, the Finley Donovan books, um, yeah. Dial A for Aunties, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as being cozy mysteries. And and uh, I don't feel like they, they fit the definition of a cozy mystery. They do feel cozy, but they're not part of the cozy mystery genre. Um, they're all delightful. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of all of those books. Um, I just don't consider them to be cozy mysteries. Um even though I do I feel like I'm seeing the line between like traditional and cozy getting blurrier and blurrier um mm-hmm. with books that are being published today we're seeing a lot of uh social issues and more serious and important things being touched on in the cozy mystery genre that we typically didn't. Um but I do feel like the way that information is delivered uh in a cozy is going to be a little bit lighter. Where in like mm-hmm. a traditional mystery, particularly like the Thursday Murder Club, you're going to get those issues and you're going to see them in like a, a darker, grislier, like really more real way mm-hmm. where cozy still feel safe and escapist, um, where the traditional ones don't quite as much.
0: I agree that those books are absolutely fantastic, but mm-hmm. I would call them cozy adjacent. And I think it's interesting now, I think that the word cozy is such a hot word right now. Yeah. Like every book that could be described as cozy is being described as cozy. Like (laughs) cozy fantasy is a big one. Um, Cozy, like a witchy cozy. I don't know if you've seen like Mm -hmm. almost like practical magic kind of vibes where it's like just cozy. And so I think people want to put that word on books that feel cozy. Right. And that is different to me than a cozy mystery.
1: I agree. And I'm always like, I love to see the way that language is used even if it's like temporarily as part of like a trend or if it's just like the Mm -hmm. evolution of the way that a word is being used but I do think it causes some confusion for readers because there's definitely a difference between a book having a cozy vibe and actually belonging to the cozy mystery genre which does have its own set of specific rules even if those are starting to get you know blurrier and blurrier as Mm -hmm. more modern cozies start to come out
0: Mm -hmm. i agree
1: yeah Mm. so another thing that we wanted to chat about today um which you brought up and i'm so glad you did is the stigma around cozy mysteries so why do you think some people consider cozies to be lesser than other crime fiction genres
0: Mm. Um, i think there's probably a few reasons for this uh but the the big one being that cozy mysteries are not violent, mm-hmm. and they're they're really clean books generally. And I think um, to write about murder in a clean, non-violent way is, I think, looked down upon as maybe cutesy because you're not getting into the noir or hard-boiled or even grisly or traditional mystery right. uh, uh, stories. But, um. I also can't help but think, and I not to bring like any sort of agenda here, but I, I can't help but think that this is a a, a women's issue because mm-hmm. cozy mysteries are so popular among women. The idea that women enjoying this this, you know, maybe a little cutesy mystery, something that's a little bit more pleasant or enjoyable, nonviolent, right, that might color people's uh, perception of it because it's not as serious, right? Yeah, and so. And I think that's a a shame because for me, cozy mysteries are very traditional. Mm -hmm. They have a really rich history being rooted in detective stories. Cozy mysteries follow a pretty standard format of Mm -hmm. murder, clues, suspects, uh, solution. And so you, you don't always get that in other mysteries being published, which may be more sensationalist because of the violence and other content that's permitted in them. But I have a really high respect for cozy mysteries because they are uh, so traditional and so intentional with the mystery, that puzzle that they are, that they craft.
1: I agree. I agree completely. And I do feel like um, it's really interesting in literary circles of like all genres, usually the only types of fiction that are really given a lot of, of merit are the ones that really delve into like the, the darker, the grittier, the mm-hmm. um, tougher sides of life and the fiction that stays on like the, the lighter side that has more of like a, a happy overtone or like a fun vibe or like a funny vibe are really looked down on. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it's so, so difficult to write a book that's balancing like a murder mystery with a romance with mm-hmm. um the with humor like that really is an achievement um so I feel like they should equally be celebrated even though they're very different things and I just I wish people didn't look down on them so much because I do feel like they're just they're such an art
0: yeah and I, I I think that they're facing cozy mysteries are facing some even more difficult challenges right now mm-hmm. um I don't know if you've ever considered maybe the pricing and the format of a cozy mystery being sold in like uh, a mass market paperback format right. for $8.99 really low price on these stories. So I wonder if that also impacts uh people's perception of them as less valuable because they are not sold in a 2799 hardcover right. first edition. Um and and even things like uh Barnes and Noble's restructuring of how they're selling books. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was last year or the year before that when they reorganized their stores to push mass market paperbacks farther towards the back. Right. And so a lot of those debut cozy authors and and whose books are, you know, really brilliant and unique and um timely are not getting the shelf space that other new releases are getting. Yeah. So if you're a reader listening to this, maybe venture a little bit farther into the stacks, go to the mass market paperbacks and support Cozies in that way. Absolutely. Because I hate to see those books getting ignored because of some merchandising decisions.
1: Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. And I've never really thought about that before, about how the way that publishing houses are pricing these books does make mm-hmm. them seem like they're less valuable. And I have heard people um, on social media, on YouTube, Booktube um, saying, so Crooked Lane is a publisher who does put out cozies and hardcovers. Um, and so they are more pricey. And I have heard people say, I'm not going to pay, you know, $20 for a a light cozy mystery. And it's like, why, why not? Like, what is it about the cozy mystery that we find less valuable when, you know, they are such like complex stories. Some of them are so beautifully written. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they really are deserving of having that shelf space and the same price point that everybody else is getting.
0: Mm-hmm. It's definitely a, a question of perceived value when it mm-hmm. comes to pricing. And I also think, you know, as somebody who works in, in self publishing, um, it's interesting to see how this genre has been really taken over in many ways by indie authors. Yeah. Um, there's a huge, huge market for independently published cozy mysteries. Uh, And on Amazon, you know, that means Kindle Unlimited, the low ebook price, really low barrier of entry for new readers and um, a de-emphasis on physical formats for these books. So it is interesting to see how self-publishing has maybe impacted uh, the future of the genre because mm-hmm. cozy mysteries are so are one of the most I mean cozy mysteries and romance I think in terms of right self-publishing are absolutely massive so um very interesting to see how people continue to uh, rewrite reinterpret and remarket these books in the online space
1: yeah I agree and I do feel like um readers expectations for what they're going to pay for a book has changed a lot. And that is largely mm-hmm. because of self-publishing, uh, both Kindle and limited. And when you, uh, indie publish, like through Amazon, you can do a free week, um, mm-hmm. to, just to kind of like get your book out there more. And as an indie author, it's been fascinating to see the number of people who will pay a couple dollars for my book versus the number of people that will just download it when it's free and only when Mm -hmm. it's free. Like it's like thousands of people difference. Like it's really interesting to see the fact that readers are less and less willing to pay for fiction. And I'm not saying that in like a, a negative way. It's just an observation Mm -hmm. about the way that we're, we're changing our spending habits. Um, And I do wonder if that's partially because publishing houses have increase the prices of all other genres so dramatically.
0: Mhm. And you know, when you think about the cost of a, a an ebook that's traditionally published, that's
1: mm-hmm. almost
0: always higher than 9.99 if it's unless it's on sale, you know. Right. So, uh our our perceived value of of cozy mysteries is definitely changing and oh, oh, you know what's an interesting thing about about cozy mysteries and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but Uh-huh in addition to the pricing change with self-published Cozy Mysteries being priced very lowly, um, a lot of them are really short. Yeah, And they're like 200 pages, less than three for sure. Some of them I've seen like in the 170 range.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And so of course, you're going to be paying a lot less for that book. But those authors are releasing several books per year at yeah. this rate. I don't know how to so, do it. I know. And they're and they're all really short and they're mm-hmm. all low priced and yet they've all got thousands of reviews. Right. So, you know, the reader expectation for a cozy mystery, it may not be the same as it was ten or fifteen years ago because we have these indie authors who are really mm-hmm. understanding a reader's psyche to want shorter books uh released constantly. Uh-huh. And so it's been interesting to study uh how that works out for authors and what their strategies are in addition to looking at you know traditional publishing marketing strategies that are changing but uh Mm -hmm. indie authors i mean you really have to watch them because they are almost always ahead of the curve in terms of publishing it's very interesting
1: yeah i agree i feel like we're kind of in like a a renaissance of of the publishing industry Mm. because indie publishing has become so accessible which is not to say that it's not expensive and challenging, but it's just become more accessible and Mm -hmm. so many people are doing it and that's having such a huge impact on publishing houses. And then you have so many other things happening like writers, strikes, Mm -hmm. and like publishing houses just having a lot of like inequality with the amounts that they're paying authors and all of these things that are just having such a massive impact on the industry and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next few years
0: totally agree yeah
1: yeah so we love book recommendations on this podcast (laughs) so tell us what are some of your favorite mystery novels
0: okay I love giving book recommendations obviously (laughs) Uh, it's like what I do but I'll start with one from the golden age that's in the public domain and I didn't mention this earlier but but the, a huge advantage of the mystery genre is that a lot of the greats, a lot of the really old books are old enough to be in the public domain. Mm-hmm. Which, if you are a really price sensitive reader and you do go for those lower priced ebooks, maybe consider looking at some public domain ebooks um, yeah. that you can download on Project Gutenberg. So, a recommendation for that I have is um, The Red House Mystery by A.A. A. Milne, who's A.A. Um, a. Milne, by the way, is the creator of Winnie the Pooh
1: interesting so
0: he wrote before he wrote Winnie the Pooh he came out with a, a detective novel dedicated to his father who was a, a fan of detective novels uh, the Red House mystery is uh, like a country house mystery it takes place in a country house and it's a locked room mystery and it's really quite fun I mean you've got this like detective duo that's kind of like a Sherlock and Watson dynamic uh-huh. one's really brilliant and one's a little bit slower and that makes it really fun But that is fun uh yeah, so I, I really recommend that one if you're interested in Golden Age because it's easy to read and, and really accessible. And but more recently, I'll give a recommendation to readers who are really, really interested in the history of the mystery, like this top like uh, this yeah. podcast is called. It's called West Heart Kill by Dan McDormand. And it's coming out, I'm not sure when this episode will air, but it's coming out sometime in October.
1: Oh, perfect.
0: And um, yeah, and so that one it's not for everybody i will say but it's a meta murder mystery novel so it has it's written in a bunch of different formats and uh, honestly the the actual mystery takes a back seat to how much you will learn about mystery just reading this book because he has these kind of almost like essays on the history of mystery so Uh um if that's your vibe like that's one of those books where you have to be prepared to go into it to kind of chew through the book a little bit like Mm -hmm. you have to you know put on your thinking cap but if you love mysteries that's a great one
1: that one is definitely my my vibe so I really want to pick that one up I hadn't heard of it before so I'm so glad you mentioned that
0: yeah it's I I just finished it like last week or something and Mm -hmm. I was like and it has by the way just to brace you it has pretty low ratings on goodreads right now and which is always interesting to see what people complain about with their books but i think that's a case of not everybody being prepared for the kind of book that is right um so definitely read the synopsis and be prepared for something very different and meta and you may not like it but at the end you know you'll you'll have a much better understanding of what mystery is and always has been that's it so was cool. fascinating.
1: And just like the perfect recommendation for this podcast. <laughs> I
0: know. I, I thought of that this morning. I was like, why don't I talk about this absolutely unique, incredible book? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's the perfect recommendation. And then let's see, I will say a couple of my favorite, like traditional mysteries would be, of course, The Thursday Murder Club, which we mentioned by Richard Osman, and then mm-hmm. The Maid by Nita Prose. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of that book. I'm so excited for the sequel to come out. I think it's maybe in November. It's very It soon. is, yeah. Yeah.
0: It is. I, I also really enjoy The Maid. That's another one that had really split reviews, but mm-hmm. it's so exciting to read books, to read mysteries, because they really can play with the genre in a lot of different ways. And yeah. with The Maid, you have that neurodivergent protagonist who, yeah. you know, sees the world differently, and so therefore you see the mystery differently, which mm-hmm. I thought was really clever. And it Thursday was. Murder Club, I mean, that's like a gold standard for contemporary mysteries right now. Mm-hmm
1: yeah i agree i agree completely um and then if we're going to talk about cozy mysteries i think uh, probably my top three that i always recommend are shady hollow by juno black um the sloan krauss mysteries by ellie alexander and then the colorado wine mysteries by kate lansing i, I
0: love think
1: those. yeah i love them they're all so well written they all have just the coziest vibes um and i think they're they're great books for people who maybe haven't read a ton of cozy mysteries to come into the genre and still be like very comfortable and entertained.
0: Hmm. I mean, that's the goal. Yeah. I think you want to be very entertained. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the the Colorado wine mysteries like that is exactly what we were talking about um, earlier with balancing like all these different elements of a mystery, a romance, a that wine element which is really Mm -hmm. educational that's an interesting thing about cozies that we didn't discuss is that they can be really educational yeah um, and and talk about like the the protagonist's job in a way that you learn something while reading them so i agree they're i mean they are like powerhouses in terms of of books
1: yeah i i agree and i love um one of the things i love about cozy mysteries and i feel like they are such like a, a fiercely feminist genre because Mm. you so often see women in this genre as your main character like first of all they're selecting careers that are very like dream jobs right like they're the kind Mm -hmm. of kind of jobs that we all wish we were like brave enough to go after and these women are doing it and then on top of that they become amateur sleuths who then take it upon themselves to restore justice in their communities and I just think that is such a beautiful and empowering message that kind of gets glossed over a lot when people talk about cozies
0: i agree i love that
1: yeah there's Um, so
0: much to talk about with cozies i mean oh my gosh i feel like we could have like a whole other episode just about like (laughs) more of these talking points because there's just so much with this like wonderful genre
1: i know i i agree i agree obviously i i am a huge fan of of cozy mysteries and i just think there's so much to to dig in into with all of them because they're such complex works of fiction Mm -hmm. all right well before we sign off today can you tell our listeners just how they can connect with you online and also sign up for your fabulous clues letter
0: thank you yeah i'd love to so i go by at mystery manon m-a-n-o-n on tiktok and instagram and that's where i'm most active but my newsletter you can sign up through the link in my bio, or if you go to cluesletter.com, it'll redirect you to my website. And yeah, I just, I love talking about books. I love it when people DM me and reply and talk about books. So absolutely love to connect on any of those platforms and reply to my cluesletter letter because I, I do love a good email reply as well.
1: Oh, yes. And I just like, I have to say, uh, when I first heard about your clues letter, I was like, that is the most brilliant thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a wonderful newsletter because you do author interviews in there. You talk about the books that you're reading. You talk about the mystery genre, like in general, like it's just, it is a newsletter that I feel like really adds a lot of value to subscribers. Um, and you put so much work and thought into it. It's also like very beautiful, like the graphics that you do and everything. It's just, it's so well done.
0: Thank you so much. I I love doing it and um I it honestly makes me feel like I'm connecting a lot more with the genre and with readers. So mm-hmm. it feels it feels really good to to put it together and I do my best to incorporate uh all kinds of mystery genres, like yeah. subgenres, so it's not just cozy. I I like my next interview I think is with a thriller author, author. so awesome. I'm hoping there's a little bit of everything for everybody, but yeah. Thank you for the kind words.
1: Oh, of course. I'm I'm a huge fan of the newsletter and <laughs> of your your work on social media. And I just so appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so, so much for being here with us.
0: Likewise, Christy. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Of course. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this season of the podcast. It's been so wonderful seeing you all tuning in and hearing about what books you've all been picking up that have been featured on the show. I appreciate you all from the bottom of my heart. Until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Christy Meyer Books. That's K-R-Y-S-T-I-M-E-Y-E-R Books to stay up to date on all of the mysteries that I am reading and recommending. We'll be back with another episode soon, but in the meantime, happy reading and stay cozy.